Greetings and welcome to Jesse I Interviews. As always, I'm recording this on the unceded lands of the Wiradjuri and Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, in a place once known as Nam, now known to the world as Melbourne, Australia. I want to pay my respects to the traditional owners of these lands and elders past, present and emerging. This episode features an interview that is a bit different to all previous episodes, as it is not with an artist or producer, but rather a writer, John Masuri of the UK. It is also the first interview on the podcast that was originally made live to air on my radio program. As I always like to showcase these interviews in context, I've left in all the radio talk before and after the interview, and the songs in the middle of it. Hopefully I don't hit any copyright issues with that. John was in Australia at the time to promote his book on the Whalers, Whaling Blues, and also visit his son in Melbourne, Big Up Simpatico, and his daughter in Western Australia. I enjoyed this one, not only because John was such a nice guy and has been around the music for decades and really knows his stuff, but also because we both come at reggae music as outside observers. No matter how much we love the music and culture and dedicate our lives to it, this will never be our music, as we're not Jamaican, but we can engage with the music and help share our love of it with others. So here we go. Jesse I interviews John Masuri, live to air on Babylon Burning, PBS FM in March 2013. PBS FM, listening to Babylon Burning with Jesse I, running through a bunch of tunes here in a vintage style to get us started today. We started that bracket way back with the Ethiopians, a tune called Obia Book from the album Slave Call on Third World. Jimmy Cliff after that hard road to travel, and I have to uh, remember to mention Jimmy Cliff will be out here, of course, Wednesday the 27th of March, playing at the Corner Hotel in Richmond. Tickets for this one are 80 bucks, so it's not cheap especially compared to the last show he did in Melbourne, which was free. But for the Jimmy Cliff fans, I'm sure a small price to pay. Following Jimmy Cliff, we heard from Ken Booth, a tune called Can't You See, that one on the Lynx label. Bruce Ruffin after that, singing for Leslie Kong's Beverly's label. Beautiful tune called Dry Up Your Tears. And it was Lloyd-Jones at the end there, a tune called Rome, released on a Moo Disc 7-inch. Right now, a little bit of Studio One in the background here. And I'm happy to welcome into the studio a very special guest today, all the way from the UK, John Missouri. Thank you very much for joining me here, John. Yes, it's a pleasure, Jesse. Thank you. For those that aren't familiar with your name, can you tell us a little bit about your history in reggae music and uh, your works to this point? Okay, well, um, I, I mean, I first listened and loved and went to see and bought records, you know, reggae music about 45 years ago now. And I mean, in England, we grow up with it during my childhood it was on the charts it was on television so it's very natural to us and we grew up with jamaican people so it's very much part of our culture as well but um i've been working full-time in the reggae industry since um 87 i think it was when i joined the staff of black echoes and that was the number one <coughs> a weekly newspaper for black music in the uk and um and then it became a monthly magazine around the year 2000 and over the past 
25 year plus I've never missed an issue so um, there's a lot of work there and um, a lot of work in Jamaica as well so um, but now I'm moving more into books mm-hmm. um, but I, I still write regularly for publications in England uh, France and Germany uh, and America sometimes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was saying to Russ Crucial earlier that it, uh, John Missouri is one of those names that you just see in different places if an artist passes away you might see an obituary in the guardian the odds are you've probably written that obituary mm. so you've been um, following the music ever since you were a child oh yes i mean from milly small sang my boy lollipop i had my first crush <laughs> on milly and then i went to see prince buster and i was in shabins at the age of 15 in the late 60s and uh, so um very much a, a a major passion of mine for a long time what was it about reggae music that grabbed you um i think it was the fact that um you know reggae music was for ordinary people and uh, it also had tremendous sense of humor character um because we're talking about a pre-roots era and that's why i've always uh liked dancehall just as much as roots music because Uh, when you listen to people like Derek Morgan and Prince Buster that's early dancehall mm. so i've always seen the music as one music whether it's i mean in the course of my career i've written about everything from dub lovers rock to dancehall to roots to to um people singing show business tunes to everything and uh, i've always seen it as an expression of the one music yeah that's that's an interesting one um for me because that's that's one thing that i've noticed over the years there's people uh, in melbourne is a good example there's people that are roots and dub fans and all they yes. want to hear is is roots music mm. then there's people that are dancehall fans and they just want to hear the latest hype jump up dancehall sure but then there's other people that are jamaican music fans mm. and they have an appreciation for the rock steady rhythms right yes. through every every time those have been versioned whether it's in the digital era or the modern roots era or dancehall yes. um I wonder what it is that makes someone a fan of Jamaican music. I mean, it is very varied. Sometimes people say to me, "How can you listen to nothing but Jamaican music?" And for me, you know, I have everything I want to listen to within there. Sure. I I always think, uh, do you want to eat the same kind of food every day? You know, wear the same kind of clothes every mm-hmm. day. But but I I think uh, you know, people they they there's something about this music that gets them in the first instance. And I know with a lot of people it was the roots reggae music because it was actually expressing something about society and the world and uh, uh and it was for people who you know they were struggling in life they couldn't fit in and reggae music speaks for those kind of people and it's still one of the only kinds of music out there that is talking about capitalism and um you know nuclear war or whatever it is it's offering a voice to people who don't often see their views represented in society mm. and reggae music still has that power to um uh to rally those like-minded souls 
Uh, I think that's important. It's a very important part of the music. Definitely. I, I think it's ironic that a lot of people dismiss reggae as, you know, stoner music that,、mm. you know, for people detached from reality, when、mm. in reality, reggae music is a real form of music. It's not escapist music, it's dealing with real issues. Exactly.、Um, even, even down to, the, you know, the dancehall music, obviously, there's always been gun lyrics and slackness and everything, but it's.、Yes. it's An expression of what is actually going on in those ghettos. And- oh, sure. If you live in an environment where、um, half the people you know are being shot or brutalized in some way, then、um, it, you've got to be a saint for that not to touch you.、Mm. And if you're an artist and you express yourself in song, then things like that are going to appear in your music 100%. So、uh, for every tune that Bounty Killer makes or, or, or dancehall artists like this, this was their reality. This, this is how they grew up.、Mm. This is.、Um, This is a, stories about their friends, about members of their family.、Uh, this is very much a, <coughs> excuse me, a part of their real life.、Mm. Uh, and we should never underestimate that. Yeah.、Um, tell us a little about the book you've written on Peter Tosh. I mean, you, you've, you've done、uh, so much writing already. You've written a biography of the Whalers. Yes. But、uh, the latest project, which will soon be released, is a biography on Peter Tosh, Stepping Razor. That's right.、Um, the, the Whalers,、um, they asked me to write their story because、um, they've suffered greatly at the hands of the Mali estate.、Mm. And there's a hell of a lot of injustice there. And、um, it's my fervent wish that people ask the right questions about Bob Marley instead、mm. of just、uh, hero worshipping him and、right. actually look at his legacy. But once we finish that book, which took a long time, Um, the same publishers asked me to write a book about Peter Tosh, and、uh, that's been a fascinating journey. That's been the last four years of my life.、Right. And、uh, very interesting, very powerful character, and a misunderstood one, I think.、Mm. So,、uh, I mean, the, the film Red X Stepping Razor is one of my favorite documentaries. Yes.、Um, how do you, having studied the life of Peter Tosh yourself for this book, how do you view that film now? Very good,、uh, very powerful. I mean, the director,、uh, you know, Wayne Jobson is a friend of mine, and、um, he, he actually knew Peter. And、um, uh, we can take that film pretty much as, as gospel. There,、okay. uh, there is so much in that that, that is a, an integral part of Peter's story.、Mm. But、um, there are also myths as well about him.、Uh, everybody I spoke to. Who knew him intimately talks about what a warm character he was, his sense of humor,、um, his generosity.、Um, he was far more than the、um, very abrasive revolutionary character that we're presented with, although he was that too.、Mm-hmm. What about Bunny Whaler? I know Roger Steffens was working for years on a Bunny Whaler. Uh, biography, and、yes. for one reason or another, you know, it just never never came、mm. about. Was interviewing Bunny part of the,、uh, the process for the, these books? Yes, it was. And in fact, the first interview I ever did as a reggae journalist was with Bunny Whaler. And I remember saying to him,、um, Oh, this is my first interview. And he said, Well, you better make it a good one then.、Mm-hmm. Um, but、uh, yes, I interviewed Bunny for the book. And、um, he. He did work for a long time、uh, on his autobiograph- 
the autobiography with Roger Stephens and uh, then he decided um, not to sanction its release um, for reasons which we won't go into okay. publicly um, but um, Bunny is an elder statesman and um, I, that's how I regard him well, you must have, I mean, you've obviously done so many different interviews. Um, who have the most challenging people to interview been over the years? The most challenging? Um, or maybe highs and lows. So who have been the, the best experiences and, uh, and the worst? Okay. Um, I don't think there have been any worse, actually, because I found that if you, if you have a, a genuine love for the music at heart, then uh, people who are part of the reggae industry will always um, relate to that, mm. as you must know yourself. Mm -hmm. And so um, th there has been no worse, really. But um, there have been times um, where um, people like Bounty Killer and Elephant Man have, have taken me to where they grew up, and that was very moving. Mm. Uh, I mean, in Kingston, you see all kinds of things. You you see death, you see violence, you see deprivation. And when, when you understand where a lot of this music comes from, it touches you profoundly. It makes you realize that we have to value every minute that we have and, uh, and count our blessings. And I, I think that's been the most profound thing, that when you see someone like Shabarangs, who rose to... Um, the heights that he did, two times Grammy winner, international star, and you realize where he came from in life, and the same for Bujubanton and a number of these people. Uh, I'm in awe of that. Uh, they've come a very long way. Right. You were mentioning uh, you've been to Jamaica, you go to Jamaica, was it uh, three or four times a year, and have done for the last couple decades? No, since the late 80s, I've been about twice a year, okay. sometimes three times a year. And um, in fact, I'm going there again next month. But um, yeah, it's a place that's very dear to my heart. And if you want to really experience the music at source, um, that's where you have to go to really feel it. Mm. Yes. What about reggae outer national, reggae outside of Jamaica? Obviously, reggae is huge all over the world. And obviously, in the UK, the UK has really come up with a reggae scene that's unique. It's totally different to Jamaica's reggae scene. Yes. How do you how do you see the place of uh, of reggae in the UK and, and elsewhere in Europe as opposed to Jamaica? Well, it's interesting because in the late sixties and seventies, coming up, um, uh, you could see that uh, musicians and singers in England were measuring themselves by Jamaica. There was very much this stigma that if it wasn't Jamaican, then it wasn't really reggae music. Mm -hmm. And so that generation of um, uh, British-born or at least British-raised reggae people um, really laboured under the shadow of that. But what I see now, when I talk to people like Grau Nation and Soja and Gentleman and all these other um, international acts that... They're untrammeled by this baggage and by this history that reggae now is a truly global culture. Mm. So it's these people aren't being measured against what's happening in Jamaica anymore. That it's it's they're being measured on in their own right, and uh, that's a recent development, and uh, that's one to embrace, I think. Mm. 
Let's take a break and hear a song from Peter Tosh. Um, we're speaking to John Missouri, the author of a forthcoming Peter Tosh book, Stepping Razor. And I'm going to play a tune now called Babylon Queendom. This one doesn't appear on any of Peter Tosh's LPs. What can you tell us about this song? Well, I mean, I salute the Australians because I'm a Republican and I'd love to see an end to the royal family. And Peter Tosh certainly <laughs> mirrors those beliefs. <laughs> You're on PBS 106.7, Babylon Burning with Jesse I and John Missouri in the studio today. You queen. 
you're listening to Babylon Burning with Jesse I. A couple favourites from Peter Tosh there. I Am That I Am from the album Equal Rights. And before that, on an Intel Diplo 7-inch tune called Babylon Queendom. And I'm joined in the studio by Peter Tosh biographer and reggae writer John Missouri. Uh, John, mm. you were uh, mentioning that you've got a book coming up with Sly and Robbie next as a uh, result of this one. Well, we're just starting that, so, um, you know, there's little to say about that so far, but um, I, I've known them for a long time, and uh, they they must be one of the world's greatest ever rhythm sections when you think about the people they've um, they backed, everyone from Grace Jones and, and Peter Tosh himself, in fact, and... Uh, uh, so much great Peter Tosh music they played on and they've given me lots of quotes as well uh, for the Peter Tosh book but um, I wanted to mention that 30 years ago this month Peter Tosh was in Melbourne Mm. and uh, his support band um, were an Aborigine band called No Fixed Address Mm. and um, their singer and drummer Bart Willoughby was also very helpful to me um, in the Peter Tosh book. And so I wanted to say thank you to Bart while I'm in Melbourne. And, Fantastic. Uh, He's still around. He's still playing music and, uh, you know, he's sure. still a very big figure in Melbourne music. Yeah. And this is what he said about Peter. He said, what Peter Tosh taught me was not to let the pain destroy you. He taught me that you have to live with it, learn to understand it, and then use it to make beautiful music. Once you're in harmony with it, then you can explain it to others and become a philosopher. And I just thought that was the most wonderful quote, so thank you, Bart. Yeah, enough respect to Bart Willoughby uh, anywhere he is right now. Talking to John Missouri in the studios of PBS. You're listening to Babylon Burning. Um, we just moved into a little bit of Exterminator in the background, uh, a version to uh, a version of No Woman No Cry that Fattis Burrell did back about 1996. Of course, Fattis was a good friend of yours, the uh, the yes. man behind Exterminator. Yes, very good friend. Um, uh, on many of my trips to Jamaica, you know, Fattis was my. Uh, good friend, my companion, my protector, my he um, he showed me a, a side of Jamaica that uh, I never knew existed, mm. and uh, um, I attended many recording sessions with him and trips out into the countryside uh, with people like Luciano and Sizzler and so many he, he had such a wonderful stable of artists and um, the legacy that he's left behind I think he's one of the greatest producers in reggae music and um, we all have heard many times that the 70s was a golden era for reggae music which indeed it was but the 90s to me was was just as great. Mm, I agree entirely, yeah. 100%. And uh, I mentioned to you in the break that I was a, strictly a fan of 70s music until mm. I first heard Praise Ye Jar by Sizzle in 1997. Mm. And for me, that really opened me up to modern Jamaican music as a whole. Yes. But um, I always have a soft spot for this time. And I view it as uh, definitely Sizzler's golden golden era as well. Uh, you know, oh, yes. He's never really recaptured the heights that he hit in those times with, mm. uh, with Fattis. Were you there for any of those recordings? sessions around that time? Yes, I was. Um, I first met Sizzler when he was 15 and he was in his school uniform Wow! and uh, he had his exercise book in his hand and um, a man called Homer Harris Mm. uh, introduced us and Homer said to me, this little youth here is going to be the hottest DJ in Jamaica one day, which is why I've called him Sizzler. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, sure enough, I mean, the next time I met Sizzler, he was Fattis's uh, gopher. Uh, I'm sure, no disrespect to Sizzler, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying that, but um, he was the one who would, uh, le- he was learning his craft, but already writing such um, insightful lyrics for such a young person. Um, he was always going to be great mm-hmm. and uh, he's been so massively influential in Jamaican music. You can hear his influence in in so many other artists. Uh, he's a major, major talent, mm. Sizzler. When I was in Jamaica last in July, I went to a show which was uh, featuring Kalissa, Chronics and Kabaka Pyramid. Yeah. And standing in the audience right next to me for the whole night was Sizzler. Yeah. So it was very interesting to see that he has achieved so much in the music but he still has an eye on the younger upcoming Rasta artists and a keen interest um, yes. there's no surprise to see he's just done a song with Kabaka and Chronix yes. and Protégé oh, yes. um, but it was I really love the fact that uh, here was this great artist watching these young upcoming this is six months ago in July Chronix had a bit of hype Kabaka a small name yes. nothing like the hype for Chronix we've seen since then in the last mm. six months mm. um, I just love the fact that Sizzle was there in the audience just to watch and enjoy but i mean what we should remember is that was fattis's influence as well because fattis was the great star maker in jamaica he was always willing to give talented youths a chance and uh, so many artists got their breakthrough mm. through fattis um from uh, pinchers from thriller you to uh, Luciano to so many people got their breakthrough mm. fatties. Turbulence and Prince Malachi, the list goes on. Uh, absolutely. And so Sizzler is very much from that camp and that mentality. And I mean, Sizzler does a lot of work behind the scenes that people don't know about. He's built uh, tabernacles in Jamaica. He's got a recording studio. He he feeds so many people. He he pays the school fees for so many children in Jamaica. And when people say he's over prolific, he makes too many tunes. Uh, he doesn't spend that money on clothes and big cars. Believe me, mm. he spends it in the community on deserving people. He, he's, um, he's, a, he's a major personality and a person and a presence as mm. well as an artist. Looking back at the last few years of Jamaican music, it seemed like reggae was becoming an endangered species. I'm talking true one-drop cultural reggae music in Jamaica. Mm. But in the last maybe nine months, there's been a real resurgence. We're getting good one-drop rhythms out of Jamaica again. We're even seeing names like Digital B that had been off the scene coming back with rhythms. Yes. Um, and we have artists like Chronix and Kabaka and uh, Protégé, which are like a new vanguard of roots music in Jamaica. Yes. What do you think about the state of the uh, of roots and culture reggae music in Jamaica well, these days? Well, I think that was inevitable because <clears throat> um, veteran musicians, um, you know, they didn't want to be touring uh, all the time. You know, they get to a certain age, they don't want to be on the road all the time. And so people like Ibu Cooper from Third World... Uh, Nambo Robinson, you know, from the Sly and Robbie's Taxi Gang. They, you know, they come off the road and um, they start teaching teaching young people. And um, Ibu's been a teacher at the Edna Manley um, School of Visual and Performing Arts in Kingston for a good few years now. And whereas they would teach theory and um, 
their music teaching would be based on maybe jazz or classical music. Now it's based on reggae music. And so you've got a, a young generation coming up who've been schooled by reggae veterans in reggae music. They're, they've learned about the culture of the music and their national identity and what the music represents. And this is now, we're hearing the, the, the fruits of those teaching now. Uh, that's why we've got bands like Pentatouche and Dubcontronic Crew and um, uh, Nomads and all these other ones coming up. A lot of them have learned their craft at Edna Manley. Even Romain Virgo did. So this is a very good development mm. that's happening. Do you have any particular young artists that you're fond of? Any artists in particular that you uh, really look forward to new songs from? Well, you mentioned Protégé, and uh, I love his new album, The Eight Year Itch. I think that's fantastic. I love Romain Virgo. Mm. Uh, I mean, Busy Signal's been out there a while now, but um, he's still coming with lots of fresh ideas and different styles. Um, I, there, there's never been any shortage of talent coming from Jamaica. It's like an endless tap, <laughs> a reservoir of talent. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, John. Uh, before we let you go, is there anything else that you wanted to uh, pass on to the Melbourne listeners? Reggae fanatics, both old and young, that love all eras of the reggae music? Well, it's very heartening to me to see that reggae music is alive and well, flourishing and, and so well thought of and so well loved. Um, in Australia. I mean, that's been a, a long process going back to when Bob Marley and Peter Tosh came here. And uh, you can see now that, that reggae music is truly global in every aspect. And uh, we've seen reggae bands from Australia and New Zealand now make their reputations on the international stage. And, and long may that continue. Mm. All right, John, thank you very much for joining us here on Babylon Burning. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your time in Australia. Thank you very much. You're listening to PBS Babylon Burning with Jesse I. Back with more music right after this. Blues Fest Touring presents the King of Reggae, Jimmy Cliff at the corner, March 27th. You can get it if you really want. Ah, yes, Jimmy Cliff, the King of Reggae, of course. Needless to say, I didn't have anything to do with that Jimmy Cliff ad script there at the end. Jimmy Cliff wouldn't even make my shortlist for the title of King of Reggae. Before that, it was John Masuri talking to me in the studios of PBS back in March 2013. As always, big thank you to my patrons on Patreon, Armageddon Time, Empress Irie, Todd Solomon, John from Champion Sound, and Tom Tanuki. If you want to support the podcast, please check out the Patreon page. There's a range of options from as little as $2 US or $3 Australian per month. Patron or not, please feel free to get in touch with me anytime. I always enjoy hearing from podcast listeners. Always happy to get any kind of feedback. You can email me at jesse at chantdown.com or find me on Instagram at morefireblaze or on facebook.com forward slash jesse i. Thanks for listening. Ices every time. <laughs>